New Year is here, and soon state lawmakers will return to the Capitol. This week, we're looking ahead to this year's legislative session from property taxes to the power grid. We'll get the perspective on the priorities, shaping the debate under the dome. Women said to make history in the Texas House. The more inclusive uh, a body can be, I think the better results you have because you have more voices at the table. The next legislature will have more women serving than ever before. We'll meet some of those new lawmakers and how they could change the course at the Capitol. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello and Happy New Year. I'm Monica Madden. I'm Ryan Chandler. Thank you so much for joining us on our first show of 2023. Monica, it's an odd-numbered year. You know what that means? <laughs> Legislative session. In just over a week, lawmakers are returning to the Texas Capitol for a new legislative session. And today we'll be getting some perspectives on the big topics up for debate and how Texans are feeling about the key issues. One thing that makes this year's session different is the state's financial situation. Lawmakers will start the state budget talks with a record surplus. And back in the summer, state controller Glenn Hagar predicted lawmakers would have a record $27 billion surplus. Then in November, he hinted the number could actually be much larger. He called it a once in a lifetime opportunity. We will never again have an annual tax total collection compared to the prior year of 25%. We will not still have some federal money that can be utilized instead of uh, state money for general revenue. So it is gonna be a remarkable opportunity because the word that they can't use, they can't use no. And now they have to prioritize what are those things that we can do in Texas to hopefully make life a little bit better that, that we have not been tending to. And that, that mix is gonna be a lot of things in the bucket. Hagar will issue his official revenue projection right before the start of the session. He suggested that the money could help Texas invest in critical infrastructure, things like improving the roads, the electric grid, and expanding high-speed internet connectivity. Hagar said those investments could fuel long-term growth in Texas. Governor Greg Abbott has called for a large part of the surplus to go toward property tax cuts. He campaigned on spending half of the surplus to cut property taxes. That's also Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's top priority, but it's not quite that simple. State law actually limits how much of the surplus we can spend and the two leaders have some different approaches to how they want to do that. So I spoke with Lieutenant Governor Patrick about his ideas to reform property taxes and the power grid. Is Governor Abbott going to be able to fulfill his campaign promise to spend half of that surplus on, on property taxes, or do you have other ideas? Well, if, if we have a $27 billion surplus, and I think, again, it's going to be more than that, but half of that, half of 27 is 13. Right. Well, that's more than we can spend on the constitutional cap. So that would spend, that would take everything we have. Uh, but I agree with the, the governor in this respect. We need to make property tax our number one priority. I have since 2007. Uh, and before I was even in office, I was, I was at the Capitol fighting for property tax relief. So it has to be our number one area that we focus our money on. I think we can get there in different ways. Again, you could do some things as constitutional amendments. And if you look at uh, the 12 billion that we can spend constitutionally in the budget, well, we're surely going to spend close to half of that on property taxes, I believe. So, you know, and he has other, look, he has other programs that he's requesting money for, billions of dollars to continue the border wall, border security. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to get there, but Governor Abbott and I are on the same page. The number one issue 
is getting, uh, when you have a surplus, is getting savings for taxpayers. So we agree on that totally. You said that we cannot leave the building if another URI can happen. First of all, that that narrative seems to diverge a little bit from the optimistic assessment that Governor Abbott has given. So I'd be interested to hear um, what the daylight is between you and the governor on this issue. But yeah. let's not start the session all since you're covering the Capitol, trying to divide the governor and I, because we we're on the same page on almost all these issues. We both want the best grid we can have. Good. The reforms that we made in, in Senate Bill 2 and 3 were good. It got us through the hottest summer we've ever had or one of the hottest summers, but we need more power. On a really cold day or a really hot day, we can we can need up to 68 to 75,000 megawatts or more. We don't have that now dispatchable power. We must build more natural gas plants, maybe hydrogen plants. We're already building some of those. Uh, but we must build more natural gas plants, and we have to do that before we leave. It will take three years at a minimum to get new plants in the ground up and running. We have to have more dispatchable power that we can rely on for the grid. We're adding 1,000 people a day. Businesses are moving here. More more need for the grid to be stronger uh, and more power. And so we have to do that. Uh, if we don't do it in this session, that's another two-year delay. We don't have that time to do that. You have to have enough power that you can count on. Wind is great, solar's fine, If it's, but it's a luxury. It helps the environment, which is not a luxury, but it helps the environment, but it also helps keep our prices down. But I call it a luxury because we can't depend on it. To what extent do you sacrifice renewable energy and, and, and the goals we're not sacrificing have towards expanding energy. that industry if, if Ryan, you're prioritizing Ryan, We're not sacrificing like renewable energy. You know, who, you know who the leader in the country is on renewable energy? Texas. We have right. more renewable energy than any other state. We're fifth in the world, Ryan. There's the United States as a whole. There's, uh, I think, China's next, India and Germany, and Texas. So we've invested. The whole point is, in the last 20 years, we put almost all the investments, the federal government, state and local governments, into renewables. And what we found out during winter storm URI is when the wind doesn't blow, when the sun's not out, we didn't have enough natural gas. We had other breakdowns and other problems. But the bottom line is this. If you need 75 or 80,000 megawatts of power, you need those to be secure, dispatchable, natural gas, hydro, hydroelectric, coal or nuclear. That's what you have to have. The wind is great when it's blowing. And it and and I don't think I can say it any simpler than that. We're fifth in the world. Renewables are not going to suffer, but natural gas and dispatchables have suffered for 20 years and we need to get back to building those plants if we're going to have a secure grid. You've heard from politicians, but what do Texans think? We'll dig into a new poll that looks into how voters view the top issues facing the state and the people in charge. First, from budget battles to fights over hot button issues, lawmakers are gearing up for conflict. Up next, we bring in some experts for insight into what to watch when the session starts. The upcoming legislative session is bound to bring tension to the state capitol. From budget battles to fights over hot button issues like guns in the border, lawmakers are gearing up. We're digging deeper into the issues that will frame the debates under the dome. Joining us now are politics reporters James Bardagan with the Texas Tribune and Nikki Grizzold with the Austin American Statesman. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good Thanks to be here. having me. So surely the state's massive budget surplus of 27, possibly more billion dollars is going to be a driver of conversations throughout the entire legislation. You know, James, I'll start with you. What fights and conversations are you expecting to play out this session over how to spend that surplus? 
Yeah, well, we've already seen it sort of start to, pl start to play out with the governor saying he wants to use half of that budget surplus for property tax relief. We've seen the lieutenant governor come out and say, hold on, wait a minute. There's no way constitutionally that we can do that. We can get creative with constitutional amendments and we can do other things. But let's also think about not spending the whole thing because we have to be financially prudent and we want to have some money left over for cases of emergency. Add to that House Speaker Dave Phelan saying, hey, we might want to use some of this for infrastructure. And it's starting to set the tone and tenor of what that debate is going to look like during the legislative session. Yeah, and building off of what James said, that budget surplus isn't necessarily a sustainable source of funding. And so the speaker's argument is that it's more prudent to invest that in a one-time investment when it comes to infrastructure rather than giving property owners maybe a one-time property tax relief. But the governor has campaigned pretty heavily on that, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this session. Last session, drawing from context, there was definitely a lot of red meat issues that drove the headlines, fights over abortion, transgender rights, the election laws. I mean, do you think that Republicans have an appetite to go further on some of those issues, or do you think it's going to be more of a policy-focused uh, session rather than some of those red meat topics? Yeah, well, looking at the makeup of both chambers, I mean, Republicans have grown their majorities in both chambers. So if they felt like they had a mandate in 2020 to pursue these culture war, culture war, socially conservative issues, I don't see how they would change their mind this time around since they've grown their numbers. Yeah, and if we're just going off of um, a lot of these Republicans' campaigns, stump speeches, I have seen a lot of them focus on LGBTQ issues and tackling that this session, you know, um, defining child, uh, including the definition of child abuse to um, include a providing gender-affirming care to transgender students, restricting how teachers can talk about race and sexism and gender identity in the classroom. I think those are culture war issues that will be top of mind for Republicans this session. Another issue that's already taking shape, I know, Nick, you and I have both reported heavily on was the mass shooting in Uvalde. I mean, how much do you expect the conversation to be more on guns versus mental health based on what Texas has done in the past following other mass shootings? Well, Democrats have already followed up on their promise to those Uvalde families to file legislation that would raise the minimum age required to purchase a semi-automatic rifle like the one used in the shooting from 18 to 21. Governor Abbott has already said he thinks that is unconstitutional, though the Supreme Court hasn't definitively ruled on that yet. So I think it's pretty clear that Republicans don't have much appetite to tackle the gun portion of that issue and have focused far more on mental health and school security. So it'll be interesting to see how much financial investment they put into those two areas. Do you think there's more to be done on the hardening of schools and other mental health resources? We saw them put, you know, $100 million or so toward education in response to Uvalde. Do we expect more of that with the surplus in mind? Absolutely. I mean, school security fixes are uh, in that category of one-time infrastructure investments that you can make. And public schools in Texas are, are already struggling with really tight budgets. Uh, they're not able to give teachers raises, which is also on um, the lieutenant governor's priority list to accomplish this session. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the conversation turns to maybe investing some of that money in school security fixes. Another top issue, we know Republicans campaigned very heavily on border security and immigration, uh, touting Governor Abbott's Operation Lone Star, which James, you've reported heavily on. You know, do you see this as something that um, they're going to continue to fund? I mean, what is the future of Operation Lone Star as we stand today? Yeah, well, the numbers haven't gotten any better. So uh, I think it's very, very clear that they're going to continue this Operation Lone Star, this border security effort. The question is, how do we pay for it? And what does it look like? You know, at some point, the governor bragged about 
about having 10,000 uh, troops down there. That has gone down to 5,000, making it a little bit more feasible to do economically, but that's still a long-term bill that you're going to have to pay if your argument is that the federal government isn't um, doing its job. So yes, I expect to see more border security efforts going forward, but the big fight is going to be how do we pay for it? Yeah, and I mean, the governor had said if Congress takes back, or if Republicans take back Congress, rather, that he would maybe be open to stopping Operation Lone Star. But given how that shook out in those election midterm races and, you know, split Congress, we still have a Democrat as president. Do you think really Congress is going to move towards some real education reform and then maybe open the door to Texas kind of pulling back a bit? Yeah, I really don't see that happening. I see the status quo remaining because Democrats remain in power in the Senate and in the White House. Republicans did take on the House, as you said, but um, it's still you know, the same situation that we're in. The funding is not going to change. The attitudes to border security aren't going to change by and large. And so they're not going to change by and large here in Texas. And I expect that we'll continue to see multi-billion dollar investments in border security efforts from Texas. All right, James Barragan, Nikki Griswold, thank you so much for joining us. Definitely a lot of top issues to follow in the legislative session. I know y'all will be reporting on it very closely. When Texas lawmakers convene, the members will be part of something historic. More women than ever before will be serving as lawmakers. How their numbers could shift the course at the Capitol. But first, what are the most important issues facing the state? A new poll asks Texans for their thoughts. We go in-depth to look at the answers and what it could mean for the upcoming session. Well, we've heard from politicians and the press, but what about the people who will be most affected by what happens at the Capitol? A new poll is giving us a better idea of what Texans are thinking about the issues facing this state and of the people in charge. So we want to get some insight. For that, we're pleased to bring on Jim Henson, the executive director of the Texas Politics Project and mild professor of government from the University of Texas. Jim, thanks for coming on. Great to be back. A plus intro. <laughs> Jim, your poll asked Texans what they think about state government, specifically whether it's addressing the needs of the people right now. And the numbers weren't great. What is your takeaway on that? Yeah, it was very interesting. We did. We gave people a pair of sets of oppositions where you said, do you agree with this statement or that statement. And the key finding there was that only 37% of Texans said that they thought that state government met the needs of Texans. 46%, uh, the plurality, said they didn't. This tracks with some of our long-standing kind of right track, wrong track numbers, things we've seen, but there's definitely a, a skepticism about responsiveness out there right now. Mm. <laughs> to put it mildly, these numbers show that people may not have a high regard for their state government. But what about the people in charge of that government? Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Governor Abbott, do they have different opinions about the people? Well, interestingly enough, the, the leadership in the state got a little bit of a bump now that we're out of campaign season, not as much negative advertising. And after all, the people we're polling on are the winners and people mm. tend to be a little more positive about winners. So everybody went up a little bit, particularly Governor Abbott. He had probably the best ratings that we've seen him get in about in over a year same with lieutenant governor patrick and same with virtually all of the statewide officials so none of them are over 50 percent so we don't want to like exaggerate the gap but they're doing better you again pulled people asking texans what their top issues are facing the state right now any surprises there not too much i mean very familiar results immigration and border security top that list fueled by Republican focus on immigration and border security that we saw during the election has carried through 
um, almost two-thirds of Republicans say that immigration and border security are most important problems facing the state. Well, one of the most valuable things about the Texas Politics Project, I think, is you can track the same questions over a large span of time. You, you've been asking Texans whether they think the state is headed on the right track or the wrong track for a long time now. Uh, what, what are the latest results and the trends they're showing? Well, again, we saw you know some improvement as we did with the statewide officials, but nothing to really write home about. So, under just under 50% said the track the state was headed on the wrong track. But that's the first time it's been under 50% in almost a year. Mm. And as we head into the upcoming legislative session, what would you say are some of the standouts from this poll? Well, one of the things that we, we asked a lot of questions about business and policy in the state. Um, and there were a lot of interesting results in that. One of the things we did was ask um, uh, Texans whether they thought business was doing too little or too much on a range of hot button issues that the legislature is paying a lot of attention to business policy on. Interestingly enough, the top response in the which Texans said that business was doing too little was climate change. Almost half hmm. said that business was doing too little on climate change. I think that's going to be a very active issue going into the session. And then back to the polling you did on a couple different leaders. You also did some polling on Speaker of the House, Dade Phelan. He's set to take over the gavel again, but he didn't seem to have, there weren't a lot of opinions on him based on your polling. Yeah, and, and this is, yeah, I mean, one right. of the things we found was that about half of Texans have no view of Speaker Phelan. Now, compared to the more prominent statewide officials, that may seem like kind of an eyebrow raiser. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very typical, in mm -hmm. fact. Now, on one hand, 50% is almost a little bit low if you go back to speakers before the social media area. Hmm. So, Speaker Phelan actually looks pretty good for a speaker. Fave unfaves about even. Um, you know, it's one of the old saws of Texas government. If you're a speaker, you really don't want to be known by that many people because right. you don't stand for statewide election. Right. Uh -huh. The only people that elect you are those in your district. There's really mostly downside to being known statewide. The odds that you're known statewide for a good reason is probably less than a bad yeah, reason. Yeah, particularly right? when you put it in the context with all these other numbers we saw that are, you know, where there's a lot of negativity. Mm, sure gotcha. Thing. All right. We always appreciate your insight. As always, Jim Henson from the Texas Politics Project. Thanks Love for joining us. Love being here with you all. Thank Thanks you. For coming Happy on. New Year. Happy New Year. Women making history in the Texas House. The more inclusive uh, a body can be, I think the better results you have because you have more voices at the table. The next legislature will have more women serving than ever before. We'll meet some of those new lawmakers and how they could change the debate at the Capitol. When Texas lawmakers convene this month to start the new legislative session, the members will be part of something historic. More women than ever will be serving in the 150-seat Texas House of Representatives. And our Will Dupree introduces us to some of the new members who are part of that milestone. When the Speaker gavels the Texas House into session on January 10th, women will fill 45 of these seats. A new record on the Republican side of the aisle. The number of female members will more than double to 13. After these, seven candidates won their elections. I am thrilled to be a part of an incoming freshman class in the Texas House that is doubling the number of Republican women serving. Ellen Troxclair will represent parts of the Hill Country. She's already filed three bills. Young Republican women are ready to step up and do our part uh, to protect our families and our communities. Next year, the Democratic ranks will grow to 32 women, including the newest addition from Austin, 
Lulu Flores. I think women and also minorities, the more inclusive uh, a body can be, I think the better results you have because you have more voices at the table. This high mark in female representation comes 100 years after voters elected the very first woman to serve in the Texas House. Edith Wilmans served only one term representing Dallas from 1923 to 1925. I think that's tremendous progress uh, for all women. UT professor and former state lawmaker Sherry Greenberg says research shows more women serving in a legislative body help to build better consensus and raise issues to the forefront. For instance, maternal health, early childhood, health insurance, some policies like that um, seem to gain traction and in a bipartisan way when more women are elected. Will Dupree, State of Texas. A record number of women will also serve in the next Congress in Washington. Yeah, the U.S. House of Representatives will have 124 women serving when members convene later this month. That will surpass the previous record for women serving in the House by one. That was set at the start of the last Congress in 2022. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas, our first program of the new year. A very happy new year to you all. It's going to be a long and a busy year for <laughs> all of us. So we'll see you right back here next week for another in-depth look at Texas politics.